Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. I want to introduce my guest today, Shalene Johnson. Right? I'm saying it right. Shalene. It's not yes, Shalene. You said it perfectly. Shalene. Yes. Thank you. Shalene Johnson. Um, and Shalene, you are, and I'm not exaggerating, a world-renowned motivational speaker and health expert. Yeah, I it's crazy so. because I, I I flip through your Instagram. If anyone is listening, follow her Instagram, Shalene Johnson. That's C H A L E N E J O H N S O N. She's actually really funny. She's not like the Tony <laughs> Robbins kind of you know very serious. She's a motivational speaker who's actually glamorous. She loves to dress, loves to do practical jokes, and she has ADHD, which is actually unusual because you really help people get their lives together yet you're kind of scattered all over the place oh yeah i mean i see you getting dressed i see you doing crazy shit arguing with your husband who, yes. which by the way was a football player am i correct brett yeah he, he was for a little while from hot minute for a hot minute okay yeah. for a, so okay so he for a hot minute and We've been running our business together for many, many years. But yes, he I when I met him, he was uh, playing football at Michigan State. And then he, he did like a little stint in the CFL and NFL. But yeah, it's, not like, it's not like we have NFL money, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, but you do talk about the money you do have. And the money comes from your success as a motivational speaker. And you talk about it. So you're in the eight figures. I mean, you make eight yep. figures. You've said it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah that's, but to be per perfectly clear, um, I wouldn't want to mislead anyone. Uh, we became seven figure earners by having a variety of businesses and brands. Uh, we didn't become eight figure earners until we kicked my husband's gambling addiction and he started channeling all of his energy and focus into investments. And so now we have our money work for us. Okay, so this is really interesting, and I want to get to the gambling after, but I want to let people know, I do, I, I'm very interested in flaws. I don't know why I'm interested, and I talk Same. about my flaws all the time. I'm intrigued by them, especially Same. when people are open about them. But you do have two podcasts, am I correct? You have the Charlene yep. Show, right? The Which, show is, is, it's a lifestyle show, and then we have a, a business podcast as well. Build Your Tribe, is that the name of it? Yeah, that's it. okay. And um, yeah, so people get to ask you questions on how you really got started and how you got to your success. Yeah, the business that you started with your husband, Brett, Smart Life, is that what really catapulted your success? I no, no, that we probably started that one maybe eight or 10 years ago. Um, I've been in business for, you know, doing something for the last 30 plus years. Um, first business I ever started when we were at Michigan State was a used car lot uh, called the All Michigan Auto Swap Meet. Um, and then, you know, I just it just kept evolving to like whatever problem it was I wanted to solve. I would be like, oh, this is a business I should start. Like this could help other people. And eventually I I would say what catapulted my um, uh awareness, I hate using the word like fame or whatever, but what helped me a lot of people to know me, which is always TV, was getting in, solving a problem for myself in terms of fitness and creating this um, really kind of bizarre, I guess you could say, workout that really took off and eventually we were selling that to health clubs and to fitness instructors and then making clothing around it and then kind of creating this whole like vibe and tribe around it. And that caught the attention of infomercial companies because we had done that on the heels of Tybo. So everyone was looking for the next hot infomercial. That was like back in 2004. So that's kind of how you started, right? With the health and workout kind of well you know so the, I, that's how people be, knew, knew me but before that we had built a million dollar business before i started doing fitness infomercials um but that's the one that helped catapult like my awareness if you will like people to know me right okay so you really know how to motivate people and you're mm -hmm. kind of on the money as i said before because i look at your instagram and you seem funny and you kind of seem like you know i can't take her seriously up until like i look at one of your stories and i look at one of your instagrams and it totally hits me like there is one that i love i just want to pull it up right now while i have you i actually i never heard a eulogy mention a person's body fat follower count or even how much money they made 
I mean, that is really on the money for people who have anxiety about those things. I mean, I'm a person that has a lot of anxiety and I know you talk yeah. about that. I do. Yeah. I have a lot of anxiety. I need you to motivate me because I am a mess lately. Where are you Where are you living? You're in California, right? Yeah, I'm in Southern California. Okay, you know, so and I just want to mention that the reason why I mentioned eight figure earner or my money at all, because I don't care about money. I really don't. I, and I usually don't know how we're doing. I don't care. Um, but the reason why the only reason why I mention it is because I know parents of kids who have ADHD and people of ADHD need to know you can be a mess and still freaking crush it. Understood. I need them to know that. Well, I kind of got it. I mean, if people follow you, they can understand. I mean, I guess I didn't say that when, when I brought it up, but if people oh. are following you and know you, they understand why. I mean, I understood why you said it, but thank you for clarifying oh, it. I, I understand that what you're trying to show people is that even with the ADHD, you can not only help people, but make a lot of money and make a success of yourself. And I know a lot of people and a lot of parents, you know, that word scares people. Can you really tell me exactly what HDHD is? ADHD, well, there's some some controversy around um, the different types of ADHD. Some people believe there's only one type, which doesn't make sense to me. That's like saying there's only one version of autism. Um, it is a neurological disorder. It, for most people, for me, mine was diagnosed with a, a SPECT scan of my brain where you could see a blood flow. And for those of us who have ADHD, um, we just, our brain's, and again, it depends on what type you have. I personally believe most people with ADHD, it's not that they have a difficult time focusing. It's a, they have a difficult time knowing what to focus on, how to block out certain things. And if you look at, for example, my brain on a scan, I just don't get blood flow to the frontal prefrontal cortex of the brain. And I also have a very difficult time knowing how to regulate dopamine. So it's like, I'm, I'm always kind of like looking for that high, if you will, that most people like they just have a regular um, stream of it is the best way I could describe it. And for me, it's like it, it always feels like it's kind of missing. So I'm always trying to like do something or listen to something or stimulate myself to, to get it, because if I don't have it, it's really hard to stay focused. So it's interesting because you actually took a, what is it? A CAT scan or a PET scan? What did you take? It's called a brain SPECT, S-P-E-C-T. But it's most people they, don't get that when they're diagnosed. Am now, I correct? No, which is, you know, it's like most things. We send people to psychologists and we have them talk about themselves, answer a bunch of questions, and then we diagnose the brain without ever looking at the organ. So I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of psych. Psychologist, I'm a big fan of therapy, but I'm also a really big fan of like, we should probably look at the organ too, before we start prescribing medications. And um, not everyone has access to that. And that's just problems with the medical care system. But if you, if you can afford it, man, I can answer so many questions. So I, I want to know also, I mean, you can answer so much because you talk about everything from, you know, going for plastic surgery, being under the knife, um, questioning Dude. whether you're, yeah, questioning whether the surgeon is actually doing the one doing the plastic surgery or it's his colleague or intern or who knows, you never know. I mean, you, you're in the know about so many things and you're not only in the know, but you know what states to look out for. You give people the states in which it's legal for them to do certain things like that. Yeah, yeah. How you know, I don't know if I'm knowledgeable, but I definitely, whatever I'm going through, the, uh, whatever it is I'm going through, I'm a firm believer that I don't need to think about, all right, what does my life look like five years from now or even two years from now? Because it's kind of pointless because God's going to throw something in my path and I'm just going to have to deal with it. And whatever it is I've dealt with, Sometimes when I'm going through, I just talk about it because I feel like I have an obligation to do that. It also helps me to make sense of things. It feels like the right thing to do. And um, yeah, I've had a lot of experience because I'm also 53 years old. You know, I'm not a 24 year old, no offense, but I'm not like one of these 24 year olds that thinks they've got it all figured out. It's taken a really long time and I still don't have it figured out. But what I do have figured out, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but I'm going to tell you what's worked for me. You're very forthcoming. I will say you are very forthcoming and you do speak about things that, you know, I think a lot of people wouldn't. And I think I'm learning from you a little because as much as I talk on my show and I release private things about me in my show, 
I feel like you have to listen to the whole show to catch it. I would never go on Instagram and make a 30 second video of mm. something that's personal, which you do. And it lives on there. Yeah. But I like that because it kind of makes you, it kind of validates the fact that if you're a motivational speaker, you're showing that, listen, I have flaws as well, but I could make your life better. And that's Don't what you, you feel do. like having a podcast is like the best form of therapy. It is. Why do you think I have you? That's how I get free therapy. When I decided I didn't want to spend money on therapy. I right? did a podcast and I have all these mental health specialists and get my free advice from them. No, I'm now, actually I know only this kidding. is supposed to be about me, but I just wanted to ask you because <laughs> I've only seen the um, you doing interviews. with. Do you do any solo episodes? Yes, I do. I do okay. some solo episodes with just myself. Um, I kind of talked about, you know, traveling during COVID. I just did one with Brad um, earlier today, just about the frustration we're both feeling because we think we want to get out of the city and we're having a little bit of anxiety and I'm very prone to anxiety. So mm. I like listening to people that hit it on the nail. Mm. You hit it on the nail for me. You know, I'm not, you know, it's easy to say, and, and I've had mental health specialists say to me, you know, change your perspective. It was very hard for me to do in the beginning. Very hard. It's so, now, it's so, so dismissive to say, like, we'll just have a better attitude. Right. That's exactly. That's it. It's like saying have a better attitude. It's funny. There was a very funny skit. I forgot what if it was Saturday Night Live or something where the, the comedian, she plays a um, she plays a patient going to a psychologist. And he tells her, well, he goes, what's the problem? And she says, well, you know, I, I, I have this problem. I forgot what it was. I, I like to do this. He goes, well, stop it. <laughs> goes, if only. And he yells at her and she goes, what do you mean? Stop it. That's it. He goes, yes, yeah, stop it. And that's, that's how he stops her thing. Anyway, that's what it kind of feels like to me when I hear things that are just so vague. Yeah. I want to ask, how did you become a motivational speaker? Because I don't know if that's something you can train for, is it? Yeah, it just happens. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't my goal. And, you know, I just have been recently kind of like toying with the fact that I, I find myself running from labels and industries whenever I feel like pigeonholed, because I'll start to look around and go, there's a bunch of shady people that do this shit. And I don't want to be associated with them. Like even the term motivational speaker, like ugh, makes me uncomfortable because there's a lot of there's a lot of, I guess you would call them gurus or people who have a little bit of a God complex. And I also think that there are a lot of, and I'm one of those people, I've, I've been to a lot of motivational seminars, but I've also been in the audiences where I look around and go like, some of these people, they really should not be here. They really need to be with a therapist. And they're placing, they're giving this person all their money and all their faith. And they're not doing anything in their lives except for going every single weekend to another motivational seminar. Like get, do you not see what's happening here? Like you either take the information, you do something with it, or you're just lining that person's pocket. So I'm never really comfortable with that phrase. I was, you know, I left the fitness industry because I was very uncomfortable with what I was seeing happening and what I was happening to myself, just feeling. Which really was what? What um, did you see that you felt uncomfortable with? Well, I can speak personally about myself. I found myself reading scripts, teleprompters and saying like, I don't feel like this is something I should be saying. This doesn't feel healthy. This, and this is for sure something that would not come out of my mouth. So why is it coming out of my mouth? And then just feeling all this pressure to get thinner and leaner and thinner and leaner and doing things that were so freaking unhealthy so that I could be propped up as a health expert. And when I, I just finally like kind of woke up and said, what am I, I, I don't have to do this. I, I have so many other things I can do and I'm uncomfortable with this. And, you know, just taking ownership and saying it wasn't healthy for me. Other people can do it right. and they can do it healthy and they can do it the right way. For me, it just wasn't a healthy place to be. You didn't like being told exactly. I, I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. You know, I've gone out for some things where they want me to be a certain character. You know, they want to presume that because I'm gay, I'm going to be so colorful. And I yeah. just can't, I can't be that on demand. You know, I'm not right. that person on demand. That's not who I am. So I, I totally get what you're talking about. Yeah. But ironically, you did manage to keep a terrific figure. I mean, Thank you, you said your age rate, which is 53. I mean, if people check yes. out your Instagram, you do keep yourself <laughs> in great shape. You're no joke. Brett must Thanks. be a very happy guy. Well, I do definitely keep him happy. 
Yes. It's part of it. I can tell from the little banter you guys have every once in a while. Yeah. So getting back to the motivational speaking thing. So it's funny that you yeah. said that people keep going from, you know, from motivational speaker to, to another one and seminars. I find that they're addicted to it. Do you find some people are addicted to just being maybe unhappy and trying to find it? They constantly read self-help books and constantly go to these seminars, but they don't actually really make the switch. Nothing clicks for them. Because it feels like they're doing something. And, you know, so I, I don't know how I, or if people call me a motivational speaker or when people started calling me that, but I just teach that's, I like to teach. So how do you, how do you describe yourself? If you had to describe yourself, if you had to introduce yourself, how would you do that? Well, the honest truth is it depends on who I'm talking to, right? Like, so how do I describe myself that makes sense when I'm 53 and I've had, you know, six different businesses, I've been in five different industries. And even today I do a lot of different things. So I have to kind of choose like, how am I going to describe myself in this elevator? quickly. But it, it, I, I guess the way I would describe myself as someone who just, I just teach, I just teach whatever it is, I think is going to help people. Sometimes I'm teaching social media. Sometimes I'm teaching fitness. Sometimes I'm teaching people what they need to know before they go under the knife. Sometimes I'm teaching people what worked, what works in my marriage. Sometimes I'm teaching people how to organize their day so that they feel less disorganized. Um, I, I just, but I don't know that um, that makes is is a, is as glamorous as saying, well, I'm a New York Times bestseller or I'm a motivational speaker. Or I'm, a, you know, whatever with these labels we like to give each other. But I just teach. And you did teach share. me something you, you share. And no, no, but you do. You, you, you taught me something. I mean, I don't like engaging in Instagram. I don't. That is not my thing. From what I understand from my team and my producers <laughs> is that the show does very well across the world and many continents people listen which shocked me i don't like to hear numbers i don't like to hear oh. anything i'm Why? one of those people i don't know i just don't want to know i like focusing on the art the job the the i like focusing on what i'm doing and not because that would make me insecure like if i found out the number okay. was lower than what i anticipated yeah, I just don't want to know. Just like I I mean people say how much do you weigh? I have no idea. I go to the gym all the time. I work out. High five. Yeah, never check anything, never look at anything. I don't count my reps. I do what I can do that day. I just like keeping focus on that. what I'm doing and not looking around me, which is why I don't like to know. Yeah. However, getting back to my point, everyone has been telling me from when I was designing my collection for before that, but when I started designing my collection, they were like, you have to be on Instagram constantly. You have to engage with the people. You know, I don't want to live in my phone. It's not my thing. I tried it for one weekend. I did it for two days and I said, I'm not doing it. Two days I did it. I said, I'm not doing it anymore. Trying to look for content, talking into the camera. It's not my thing. Listen, at my age, listen, at my age, I'm not changing who I'm going to be at my age. I want to live my life to the fullest for whatever good years I have left. And if I die with less money or less fame or less people knowing me, who gives a crap? I we want to spend friends. more time with my children. Yes, I, I want to spend the time with my children and live away from my phone. But you did teach me something about Instagram. Like I said earlier, on the show, I talk about a lot of little tips here and there for my kids, like from squeezing lemon onto fruit. It gives them a lot of vitamin C. They like it eating. It's it's tastes good. I did it because I, I would cut apples for them and I'd squeeze lemon on it in order for them to not get rotten so fast because they don't eat it quickly. Turns out they like the tartness of it. Then I started squeezing it on strawberries and then on cucumbers. They love lemon. Now they ask for lemon on everything and there's vitamin C in it. So yes. every morning, every day, at some point, they're getting lemon on something, which I think is a great tidbit. But I noticed what you do is like, you'll take that and you'll just put that on a 30 second, here it is. Yep. Great tip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Your Amazon finds are great. I should do that. I mean, I find things for my kids on Amazon and, you know, people are always, you know, commenting when I show pictures of them. Where'd you get the shoes? Where'd you get the boots? Amazon these days. These days it's Amazon. I mean, I used it to go try to be fancy, but who the hell's spending the money now? You just right. have to, you just have to curate and know what you're doing. Well, why don't you outsource your feed, your feed posts, which is front facing and stories can be, stories should be a random collection of who you are. And, and I think it's on stories that people can see like, who are you really? And what are you really doing? And, and it's kind of like, 
your your feed on Instagram is your house from the outside and it looks a certain way and it can, you know, there's curb appeal. But once you get inside a person's home, you then you really know what's going on. And I think that's what, what stories are. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that you do give great tips and great stories. Thanks. I want to get back to what is the most common thing you find yourself repeating to people that you're giving advice to? Um, I, I would say the most, uh, I don't want to say frustrating, almost upsetting thing is realizing that there's so many people who have incredible, they have everything, they have potential, they've got talent, they are smart and kind and nice and, and people like them and and they they have the educate, they have everything they need, but they're so afraid to pull the trigger because of their own fear of judgment and getting people to just, just make it messy, just throw it out there and just have typos. And, and, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but you, you can't correct something if you're never going to start. So I would say the thing that I'm constantly telling people is you, you just have to start, like just start. Even if it's not perfect. Yeah. Especially if it's not perfect. We don't like perfect. No, but sometimes people don't want to make a fool of themselves. But that's the thing is, yeah, I guess. I'm not not disagreeing with you. I'm actually agreeing with you because I'm in that boat now. You know, I'm designing a collection of shoes for the mass market, but I'm so afraid to, you know, get started because let's say it's not exactly what they want. Let's say, you know, so I'm procrastinating. However, I'm just supposed to put it out there and let them tell me this is wrong. This is not what we... So I get what you're saying. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate, but I agree with you. I think what you're saying is whether there's typos, whether you're on the wrong path for a second or showing the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. It's better because you can take a step back. Sometimes you have to take two steps back to move two steps or four steps forward. Yeah. So I I think I find that most of the time, and and so I have a huge community of uh, new entrepreneurs, many of whom have been just about to launch for five years, seven years. And they, they just keep staying in this, just about to launch. They get everything just like perfect. And then they realize, you know, this isn't it. And then they start something else where they're self-sabotaging the, the launch date, if you will. And if you really dig deep, most of these people, not all, but most are controlled by their anxiety. And a lot of it stems from a voice that they hear in their head that is left over from childhood like a parent who they couldn't get their attention or they could never do enough, or they had a a sibling who they were constantly compared to. Um, But for whatever reason, they have this like, you know, leftover negative beliefs from childhood that it, it has to be perfect, perfect perfection has to be above what anyone could ever expect, or I'm just not going to do it. So they would rather get a zero than hand in a paper and get a C minus. That's so insightful. I'm trying to think if it's me. Everything comes back to me, Shaleen. <laughs> I'm so insightful. Do you think it is? But I know it's not me because, mm. you know, when I was young, nobody gave a shit. I mean, I dropped out of high school. I was number four from five kids. So mm. I, I don't feel that. But I do feel um, a sense of pride. And I'm very proud. And I don't want anyone to, quote, unquote, help me. And I don't like to look, you know, like I'm showing something and I'm going in the wrong direction of something. So I kind of, you know, I always procrastinate and I kind of wait it out a little until it maybe I find the excuse until I find an excuse to not do it anymore. So I totally get what you're saying, but everyone has the capability to do something. You've gone through so many different things in your lifetime and career. Yes, everyone does. Everyone has figured something out. Everyone has figured something out. And you might not even, you're so close to it oftentimes that you don't even realize it. Like surviving twins is, you don't have to be the only person who's ever done it. You just have to have a little bit more knowledge from someone who's about to go through whatever that thing is, right? And and I think we believe in our heads, well, I don't have any business helping others do this because there's someone who knows more than me. There's someone who does it better than me. There's someone who's more well-known, richer, taller, thinner, all the errors. But the fact of the matter is we've all done something. Everyone has or had to figure something out that's made our lives easier that could really help somebody else. And that's all. And you're very honest about that. Um, You being from California, me being from New York City, we're a rough crowd. 
we're living in the thick of the most, I think, I don't know, um, exclusive zip codes of yeah. where women are, of course, you know, usually rich and thin and spend money in fashion. Yeah. How, what do you say to people? I mean, you know, it's very hard to live in this world and even just slip a second when you slip off of that, whether it's, you know, a weight issue, whether it's a business where you, you know, career wise, yeah. what do, how do you bring people back from that? It's could be debilitating. You know, we're in the most exclusive zip code, I think in the world, 10021, or at least it used to be mm-hmm. in New York city, the socialized that used to come to my shop Chucky's and the celebrities that used to come when they used to pay for shoes. Um, <laughs> it was, it was fantastic, but you know, I find that it's a rough crowd. Yeah. I think for me personally, I don't ever want to be in a position where people are waiting for you to slip. And I think that when we worry about perfection, like, so for example, you know, I was watching some Instagram stories today and realizing how few women actually post what they really look like. You know, they, they use all these filters and um, you wonder, well, what happens number one, when you meet someone in real life, Number two, every time you look in the mirror, you're like, I don't look like my filter. Cause I I've done that before too, where it's like, oh gosh, if I, if I use this filter, like one more time, I'm going to march off to my plastic surgeon and ask them to make me look like this. And, and so, you know, there's this weird thing that's happened. I don't know if you have seen this trend, like, especially on YouTube and TikTok. And I don't mean to offend any of the millennials, but it tends to be like this younger millennial that they've made a brand by destroying or picking apart other people, like whether it's celebrities or industries, or, you know, it's the anti this or the anti that, and they're anti whatever fill in the blank for almost like every possible industry you can think of, even the most obscure industries have this going on where these, and I think that gets in people's heads. Like, Oh, I don't want someone to pick my life apart. So I better be perfect. And that creates this anxiety. Social media has created this anxiety, this idea of like what, how I need to present myself to the world. And that, that would be exhausting. If you have to constantly be thinking about how, how do I want to be perceived? How do I need to present myself? What filter am I using? Have I forgot to use the filter? What if someone takes a photo of me without this filter? It's just exhausting, I think, to pretend that you are something you're not or to try to be a certain way so that people don't criticize you. They're going to criticize you. They just are. So who cares? Move on. It's like, all don't give part it any of energy. Can- right. But it's all part of cancel culture. What you've just described to me in basically is cancel culture. And to the bigger point is forget about even the way you look. If your ideology is not the same as them. Right. If you just happen to think something that's different, like, you know, I don't want my kids to wear masks. I don't want to wear a mask. Suddenly, all of a sudden, Sounds you know, true. you're a Nazi racist who wants people to die. Yes. Things have gotten so blown out of proportion. It's crazy. We're no longer tolerant of differing opinions. We, we, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 57. Okay. So the way we grew up, it was, you were, you didn't have to agree with what people said or did, but you were tolerant. As long as we were polite and respectful, it didn't matter what their political views were or their religious affiliations, et cetera. It's just like, well, they have different views. And and I think that was kind of an evolution from where our parents were. And I just feel like we've circled back to this, like where there's one ideology, there's one opinion. Nobody makes a statement about anything now until we've taken the temperature of everybody on Instagram. So, so what, what do we What's our position on this, everybody? Right, right. You know, and then we're right. like, okay, everybody's this is our position. Okay, good. Then I'm going to make a stance now. It's almost as if everybody's got to be in lockstep with the mainstream media, celebrities, Silicon Valley. It's like everyone's got to be in lockstep. And it's funny what you said before. I actually had, I don't know if you know who he is, Dave Rubin, who used to live in LA. He now just recently moved to Florida. Do you know Dave Rubin? I don't know. Uh, he's, Did um, I? No, no, no. He's a he's a conservative um, commentator who went from being um, an extreme like liberal to a conservative. Actually, I think he considers himself conservative. He has a husband lived in California, just left California. And he was on the show. And, you know, I, I found it very interesting. What he said is that people are destroying businesses, lives, synagogues, all in the name of tolerance. 
People are destroying everything. They're destroying people's careers, but it's all in the name of tolerance. Wow. And this is the part that is so amazing to listen to. It's so ironic that that's exactly what's happening. I mean, you talk about tolerance. I mean, you know, we're old enough to know that back in the day when you saw people marching, it was against war, freedom of speech. You know, Martin Luther King said, you know, judge people on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. But for some reason, what I feel is people are telling me to look at the color of the skin. I get like, I'm always being told, look at the color of the skin. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, we could really have a conversation about. Yeah, that. I think this is for I think this is for another time, another podcast, so we can get well, into this. You know, and I'm going to filter myself because we we don't. All, we really can't I have this conversation. You, you know, I can. Because, Here's the great thing about me: you're more successful than I am, so you have to filter yourself. You know, the what? great by thing what? about not by being successful. Standard. Here's the great thing about not being successful: I don't give a fuck. Right. I can say whatever I want. Like me, don't like me. If I get messages on Instagram, I don't look anyway. I don't look anyway. I think it makes you successful, right? Like successful by whose standards? I don't, I don't care at my age. I don't care. You know, I, you know, listen, quote unquote, I've been oppressed enough. I mean, I really (laughs) haven't been, but you know what? I've been oppressed enough. Let's say I don't, I don't have to hold back my opinion. I don't scream it out. I don't offer it to people. I'm doing this now for the show to have this conversation. So people have something interesting to listen to and we don't have to be in lockstep and not everyone has to agree with everything. Do you think that we are moving more towards that or that there's starting to be this awakening like wait a second do we all have to have the same opinion do you think think we're gonna gonna revolt against that i I don't know if there's a revolt listen it's not coming fast enough i know people that um voted for our president um have regrets and are not happy with anything he's done because he hasn't really done anything anything i mean the man i mean i don't know why we're getting off topic but i'm going to do it because it's interesting (laughs) we're getting i want to talk i want to hear how you can help but you know listen the guy hasn't even spoken to putin i mean he hasn't even gone to russia to talk to him i mean he's a world leader the first and i'm a high school dropout i told you the first thing i would have done was get on a plane to talk to all the world leaders and keep my enemies closer to me than my friends. So the fact that he never even spoke to him and he said it, you know, journalists have asked, have you spoken to Putin? No. And he turns around and walks away. How do you not just go have a conversation? How is this happening in, 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 in between Russia and Ukraine? It's unbelievable. You know, my husband and I were talking about this last night. I'm glad you brought this up. Like, and I'm going to say something that I'm sure I'll get slack for, but we sent off a donation yesterday to Ukraine and it was my suggestion. And Brett's like, absolutely. Yes, we should do that. And then I said to him, you know, it's weird. It's like, we don't trust the media. Like we don't, right? We can't. And we don't trust our politicians. We don't, we can't, none of them, either side. So we're watching the media and we're watching social media, two things we know you can't trust. And we've, Everyone says, send money to Ukraine. And I'm like, yeah, send, send money to Ukraine. But I'm like, I, I really, I haven't taken any time to really understand how did this happen? What is going on? What, what's the truth? And, and frankly, maybe I could take even a whole week off to really understand what's going on. And I don't know if I would. You, know? you almost don't want to. It's so like, for me, it's so upsetting that I I cannot, I mean, I still have unopened Huffington Post and The Voice and all these newspapers, um, the Washington Examiner. I can't even open them because I'm too upset about the situation. It should have never gotten to where it is. And, you know, back to your point of the news media, I go to the Equinox gym here in New York City. And, you know, every one on which street? uh, Though I go to the one on Lexington Avenue and 63rd. Okay. So, of course, you know it. um, Of course. So now every television is on CNN, almost as if you feel like you're at the airport, which is fine. I mean, I don't care. Everyone can watch what they want. I'm not a fan of it, of CNN. However, after two years, this is the part that shocked me. After two years of Russian collusion, two years. Now, you have to understand, I go to the gym every day. I mean, I feel like getting undressed for you now just to prove that I go to the gym every day. I go to the gym every day. So you can imagine that I'm watching CNN because I run on the treadmill and I do and I work out and I watching TV. This is going on 365 times two. My math is not good. So for two yeah. years, yeah. 365 days a year, I'm watching Russian collusion, listening to these people like Comer, Comey, Clapper, uh, Brennan, swearing on their life that there was Russian collusion and they're all getting walked off into jail. 
One yeah. day, Robert Mueller comes up with a snap and says there was no Russian collusion. I go to the gym the next day, and guess what? All the people, and I'm talking about maybe 50, 60, 70 people are on the TVs glued to the same station, CNN, that told them, how do you even believe? I mean, you're actually watching it? I actually yeah. had to text Brad and say, people are still glued. As if yeah. They yeah. just wasted two years of their life. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, and I'm almost... I feel good about the fact that here's what I feel good about the fact that we sent a donation to the Ukraine, but I feel good about it because I've been told that's what I was supposed to do. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know what you're saying. What, what if we find out, like, I just, I don't want to be like, you know, tin hat conspiracy. No, tell me what if you find out what, tell me, me. who knows what we're going to find out. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and a lot of this like ties back into the fact that I really am now questioning my, based on the experience I have with that plastic surgeon, really sometimes questioning my own judgment and try, I'm trying to be more skeptical because I've always been such a, um, everyone's good. People don't lie. Um, no one would do something to intentionally harm you. All people are positive. And because of that, I've gotten myself into, and also because I like to take risks, I've gotten myself into some situations where I didn't thoroughly I didn't sit back and wait and just take my own sweet time investigating and researching and paying attention to red flags, right? I always was like, oh, if there's a red flag, that's me judging that person, you know, and dismissing it away. And I just think about like, you know, now even with things that happen in the news and in the world, there are these little things you hear, even when you're with people who share the same political views or some of the same views as you, they can say something you're like, I don't know if I, it doesn't seem right, you know? And we're so quick to like dismiss these things because of groupthink. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to get myself to a place where I don't need to have an opinion right away. I, I can, I can take my sweet time doing some research and I can form my own well-informed opinion so that I feel a little bit better about the decisions that I'm making. I don't have to have a, a rush to judgment on things. You know, I think that's smart. I think that's a really good approach. Um, I think also you've been too busy building a career to have to research everything you want to talk about. You know, I think that when you're busy building a career and really focused on that, you know, it's hard to get clouded with what's going on in the world and news. You know, unfortunately for me, I in the fashion business during COVID, all I did was listen to the news. And that's all I did. And you're right. You can't rush to judgment on anything. But I mean, if you're going to be even slightly have a little bit of, you know, have intellectual awareness. If you want to be intellectually honest with yourself, everyone has to agree that America has to come first, regardless of your political view. I mean, America, and I just had this conversation with somebody the other day and I forgot how it came up. I was with my daughter. She wanted to buy clothes. She said something negative about, some, I don't know. And, you know, we got into a conversation. I said, well, I, she goes, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I, I believe America has to come first. I think my family comes first, my community, my country, America has to come first. And I think that every country, every leader of their country should put their country first. I don't is that, see is that a controversial topic. I don't know. Well, I don't know. You, you tell me. I mean, our president has been dropping illegal um, immigrants into all parts of our country in the middle of the night. I mean, that in itself is an illegal act. Our money is going to pay for a bunch of people. When I walk down Third Avenue, Madison Avenue, Park Avenue, American homeless people are on the street collecting money, yet nobody talks about them. Yeah, yeah, nobody right. talks about them. We're spending all of our money on what they want us to spend the money on schooling, healthcare, um, bringing in um, immigrants, which I'm for immigration, but legal immigration. But mm -hmm. why are we spending yeah. money on other people when we have our own damaged people? Let's take care of our own first. We'll come back for you later. Let Isn't me take crazy? care that's, of that's my problems. Popular opinion. I'm sorry. It's crazy that that could be an unpopular opinion. It's a very unpopular opinion. Mm -hmm. Very unpopular. I, you know, people would say that's racist. I mean, that, it's, you know, but this is where we're at. So when you're teaching people, how do you get people to get out of their head? I mean, listen, we've been in such a polarized state over the last, I don't know, four years, five years. How do you go in there and really keep focused on what you're going to do to help people? Like, how do you well, stay so focused? I tend to attract people who are easily distracted. And I think in large part, because I was such a horrible student, I've become the teacher I needed 
the teacher who can like really knows when to slow down, when to speed up. Like it's even subtle things like tone, um, anecdotes, getting people to actually do it. And I find that people are easily distracted like myself. You can't give us like five steps and then we run out and do it. We have, we have to usually say, okay, here's step one, now do it. And then you do it and then say, okay, now what's step two? Um, so I tend to teach towards that mindset. My husband does not have ADHD. He's got like the most amazing, like the most beautiful brain you've ever seen. He had a brain scan too. And I was just like, oh, wow. What, what must it be like? But he's super focused. He forgets nothing. You can give him 19 steps and he's going to remember all of them. Um, he doesn't lose things. He doesn't, you know, he's just like an amazing, super focused brain. Can that I ask you a personal question? Person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. continue. No, no, that type of person, continue. I want to hear. Well, I was going to say that type of person, they might not like my teaching style. So I really try to teach in the way that I needed someone to teach me and still need someone to teach me. I like that because I still want to grow and I still want to be taught. I still like going to therapy. I still want to grow every day. I I don't think I'm ever going to be fully grown. I want to learn every day. And I actually believe it or not, in, in spite of my banter, you know, I'm very, you know, I have the shtick of, you know, being so pessimistic and all that. I want to be better. I just want to always be better. I want to go back to you for a second. Are you on medication for ADHD? Yes. Okay. Yes. I take take Adderall. You do. Okay. Um, The other thing I wanted to go back to is you mentioned something that happened at the plastic surgeon's office. Can you share that with us? Oh, sure. Yeah. What happened to you at the plastic surgeon? Well, you know, I, um, what were you doing? First of all, so I went in to have a C-section scar revised and to have a breast lift. And, um, I, my first, very first appointment was very peculiar and made me feel incredibly uncomfortable, kind of panicked. And I went with a friend who was also doing a consultation at the same time. And we kind of got back together and compared notes and both agreed like that was really weird. But then we also both talked ourselves out of it. Like, well, but he's just really eccentric. He's really an artist. He's, this is how these types are, you know, the very, very talented individuals, that's how they can be. So we talked ourselves out of it and decided to, despite my like strong hesitations, like this, something's not right here. We went forward with the surgery and things just got worse from there. Um, And I started talking about the, the experience and how I, one person who I knew told me that this was the most amazing, amazing surgeon. And I was like, well, there you go. And I, I looked on Yelp. I looked on real self. I looked at reviews. That was all I needed. I accepted that as truth. And, but once I started talking, sharing my negative experience and how I was kind of angry with myself for not having listened to the red flags, um, people started coming forward and saying, you must be talking about Dr. So-and-so. And I started getting these crazy stories, including patient deaths and women who had been disfigured and sexually battered, allegedly, I'm going to say that for your podcast, and all of these alleged frauds and um, medical malpractice, get, like, so probably 80 women uh, came forward. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah, so a lot. are we saying that he probably was not doing most of these surgeries? Well, that is what the attorney general. I, so then I started to dig in further and go like, what, what, what in the, what did I just do and with who and started doing my research. And I had to, I had to do a lot of deep, deep dive searching because none of this stuff is readily available on the internet. But I, I learned that he, um, that there was a, a case against him still currently pending. Uh, he goes to trial in June for the brought by the attorney general to suspend his medical license and their allegation is that he allows his medical techs to perform this, and they're not, they're not licensed medical techs um, to perform the surgeries amongst other things. Um, so, and, and that's just kind of like the tip of the iceberg. Um, so it became, it was never like about my results. It was about like, this is a, an uncomfortable experience. I wish I'd listened to the red flags to just like landslide of people coming forward saying, you are lucky. Here's what happened to me. Here's what happened to this person. Well, what happened to I you? I used to work there. Could you know what me happened personally? to you? Yes. Um, so I don't know entirely. Uh, there are a lot of peculiar things. I, I woke up the next day and um, I, 
I had an incredibly sore vagina. I had iced my vagina and I just didn't think that seemed normal or right. Um, I had problems with, I mean, all of my incisions, they, it looks like I, I don't, I don't, it looks like one person was on this side of my body and one person was two different people. And I, I just left with far more problems than what I went in to try to fix. You know, I went in for a breast lift. I went in to have a C-section revised and left with all kinds of scarring, but I left with my life. But it was just a very peculiar situation with like one of his staff. When I walked in, he said, so I know what you've been doing. You've been icing your vagina. I hadn't told him that. So I didn't know what had happened to me while I was under anesthesia, started digging further and just learned that it's there's so many things that doctors are legally able to do. Like, for example, in 40 states, and I'm not alleging that this happened to me. I don't know I was under anesthesia, but in 40 states, it's legal for a doctor to perform vaginal and anal exams on both men and women without your consent and without your knowledge. Even if that's not what you're there for. Yeah. You're saying it's legal. So if you're going for breast augmentation, it is legal for them to give you uh, uh, an exam. Yes. For the sake of education. Now, is is that happening? uh, Is that rampant? I, I don't think so. Right. We don't Um, think so. But the fact that it it could happen. But if it does happen, it's legal in 40 states. That is an incredible story for people that are listening. It really kind of is a wake up call. You can't just go by what one person says, the best doctor. You can't go by that. No. So now, and now, now I just, now I've really uncovered all of it to realize that there's, you know, like Yelp and um, many of these sites and even their own social media where you're seeing before and afters, many of those are Photoshopped. Uh, testimonials can be purchased. Yelp reviews, people can be threatened, um, or threatened with a case of defamation if you don't take that down because it could hurt their reputation. So, you know, real honestly, if there's someone listening who's like, wait, I was considering doing a little nip tuck or whatever, or even just going in surgery for your rotator cuff, like whatever it is, mm-hmm. I would say if you, if you need to go under the knife, which is placing your hands in someone else's life, spend three or four, $500 to pay someone to do the research thoroughly to investigate and find out if you're with the right surgeon, if this person actually has the credentials, do they have medical malpractice cases? Are there, is there pending suspension or revocation with the medical board? I mean, these are things you just, you won't know by looking on Google. But you can hire someone to do it for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you another question, if it's okay. I want to talk about your husband for one second, Brett. You talked about him being a gambler and I happen to know quite a few gamblers and um, yes. And I know the women that were married to the gamblers and most of the time, in fact, I think almost every time it ended up in, in divorce and it didn't end well. Yeah. What kind of a gambler was your husband? Do you mind me asking? I mean, no, not at all. This is juicy. I, so I never talk about this on podcasts. Um, not because I don't want to, it just doesn't come up. But um, so he, when we first got married, he would bet on games on TV and I would do that with him. He was honest, you know, he would tell me, yeah, I've got the over on Cincinnati or whatever. And then we would sometimes go to the track, um, you know, maybe two or three times a year. We would go to Vegas two or three times a year. We did these things together. And I liken it to someone who's who drinks and is married to someone who secretly is an alcoholic, where you think you're having a glass of wine at night, but then your partner has a bottle stashed in the hamper and a bottle under the sink and a bottle under their seat in their car. And so what I thought we were doing like on rare occasion for entertainment purposes had become his full-time job and obsession. So he was gambling from the moment he woke up in the morning to the moment he went to bed at night, he was using bookies and call lines. And um, he, I asked him the other day, when did it get out of control? And he, he can't even remember when it got out of control. He just said that he knew that he didn't have any control when he would win all of his losses back and he still couldn't stop. So we ended up $497,000 in debt. Close to a half a million dollars in debt. Now, was this before you made your, your first like a million or before you really became successful? It was during it, um, which is crazy. So um, 
which so and I also want to say that like you know no sin is worse than another sin right like so I'm not painting him as being worse than me because I had my own addiction which his addiction was feeding into and my addiction at that time was work so I could sense that he would be upset like about money and so that would fuel and almost like give me a reason why to work harder and work longer because if I can make more money then I could see his stress going down I just didn't know that it was related to the gambling. Related. I thought it was related to my production, if you will. So you made it through that. You made it through. I mean, did you go through your anger? Did he lose your money? I'm sure he did. Oh, yeah. He lost. No, no, we, money. our money was all shared. Right. And so, so no matter what we were making in the business, I was just working my ass off working so hard. And, you know, we had two small children and um, Do you have twins, by the way? No, I okay. don't. I wish. But you have, two, you, you have two kids, right? Two boring, what are they called? Onesies? What are they called? Singlets. Two singlets. <laughs> They're called kids, I guess. Yeah. But uh, so we got the so run of the mill. Yeah, run of the mill. With yeah, a mom we, like you, I doubt it. They're so, pretty amazing. But yeah, so, so we we um, uh, were building our businesses, and I just cannot figure out why we can't get ahead. You know, and I'm just like, I how are how are we losing money? And I wasn't in charge of our money at that time. So I was just in charge of making it. And he was in charge of managing it for the business and also, you know, paying off gambling debts and building up gambling debts. And he started acting really peculiar. Um, not all of a sudden, like slowly, gradually, like just, just was this guy that I married was getting less and less likable. And there was all this like tension and I felt like I was walking on eggshells. And I also felt like I didn't know him. You know, there's those people where you're like, you've never given me anything deep. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. I was married to someone who never gave me anything deep. But you were only noticing it at this point. Yes. And I kept getting he like was more starting, and yes. more. And he was starting to be, he was, go ahead. He was more distant and more yes. agitated because he yes. was losing money. It's, yes. I've seen the movie. I've heard the movie. It's a rerun. I've heard it from wow. so many women. I've heard really? it from, yes, it's the most common thing. But I want to meet them. Well, how, how did yours end and you were able to stay married? And are you in charge of your money now? Ah, great questions. Okay. So part one is I was certain he was having an affair. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to get all of my ducks in a row. Um, and I'm going to build this case up and have all of my receipts. And then I'm, I'm but before I do that, I'm going to know what I'm going to do with the kids. I, I'm going to know what I'm going to do with the business. I'm going to get every, And so as I start building this case, I realize, oh, this is gambling. And so I just proceeded in the same way that you would. And I, in my opinion, it, that is, um, it's the ultimate infidelity. It's, it's having a, a, a second life if you will. So mm -hmm. it probably feels very much like a woman who finds out her husband is living with another family. Cause now I'm like, God, for 10 years, 15 years, like I had no idea like what he was really doing. So I figured out exactly what I was going to do and what he would need to do if I was going to stay only under these conditions. And if he didn't, that's okay. I know what I'm going to do. And I always recommend people when you fear something happening, just think about the worst case scenario. What will you do? Because you don't know the future, but you know yourself. So I just imagined, okay, if he if he responds this way, I know what I will do. And I'm prepared to do that. And um, I confronted him and it was a horrible day. And I, I really like wanted to kill him. And um, he was just incredibly relieved. It was like, like it was over for him. Like the gig was up and he was, he was elated and just willing to do whatever it took. And, uh, which I required that he go into basically inpatient treatment. And that's when I actually found out who found out who my husband was. And that's when I fell in love with him. Cause that's when I found out like all of his traumas and his skeletons and the things that he was ashamed of that led him to gambling. And that's, that's when our marriage I mean, I call it our marriage 2.0. That's when I fell in love with my husband. That's an amazing story because you got a second chance almost to meet another man, but it was your and husband. I, you know, I've told him 30 seconds, but it was a year of hell. It was a year of therapy. But even in, in the midst of that hell, there were these beautiful moments. Of course. We would cry together and I knew we were becoming closer and I knew his heart and I knew that he, he was willing to do whatever it took and the remorse was there. If there isn't remorse, I don't know how you could 
piece that back together. And then I had to take ownership of my own um, addiction. I had to go to therapy for work addiction. And how did that work out in therapy? I mean, were you able to work less? I mean, you seem like you enjoy it so much and you're still addicted to it. No, so- no, no. I'm, I'm, I, I have fun all day. I, I do one thing a day. So I'm doing this one podcast. I'll do a zoom tonight. That'll be for fun, but like I have all new rules and it's all like so much more about fun. And, but the way I was able to work through my work addiction is I had to uncover when in my childhood, I formed the belief that my only value was if I were to achieve and more importantly, um, take care of people financially. So I worked through that using a form of therapy called EMDR. Have you ever done EMDR therapy? No, but I'm writing it down EMDR because I think I have a little bit of what you have. Like I like to solve people's problems with money. I like to throw money at the problem because if I can fix anything with money, even if it's a friend, a relative, if if it's all that it is, is money, let's take care of it immediately. So I have that same, and I don't know why I'm that way. And I've been to tons of therapy. My joke is I've spent a million dollars on therapy. (laughs) I want to go back for a second. You too. Yes. we're, 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 I feel like we're very similar in a lot of ways um i want to go back to so who handles the money now do you allow it does now yeah so he does he does yeah thousand percent wow and you're not apprehend like you don't get nervous about that you know why rich because i don't i don't care about money i don't care i can make more who cares i know i really don't I, I know number one saying. and number two is um i i didn't at first so for several years it was me and and then slowly it was almost like a it sounds terrible, but it just is what it is. In order to regain that trust, it's kind of like a kid when you start letting them drive. You're like, I need to know where you are. And I need to know who's with you. And then calling and saying, are you alone? Are there parents there? You know, like that's kind of what our relationship was like for a couple of years. And then slowly just started turning the reins over. But now the difference is before I didn't even know our account numbers or names. I didn't have passwords. Now I have access to all of that. Kind of like when you give your kids social media, it's like, they're going to forget that you have all their passwords. um, And that's how you can snoop Mm -hmm. on them. But uh, today, yeah, he handles everything and he has changed everything everything for us because his focus is building our portfolio and making sure that our money works for so we don't have to work as hard i think that's great how old are your kids do you mind me asking yeah they're 25 and one 25 and one well they will be 22 and 25 wow boy girl yeah um, the boy is the oldest and we do, we run a business together. Uh, nice. one of our brands, we operate together. And then my daughter is, um, launching a gender neutral, um, uh, makeup company called boyish. Oh, that seems like it would really do well now. I mean, that seems like she's right so. on the money with that. I think so. Yeah. How's your relationship with your daughter? Amazing. They're, just amazing. Cool. They're so freaking cool. Okay. I love that. I love to hear that. The, so the only time I don't feel cool is our kids. Are you there yet? Like, I always think I'm cool until I'm around my kids. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, is this the right, like, you know, I hope I don't look like a mom. You know what I mean? Like my kids are so cool that they, they get me in my own head. Like, uh oh, I hope they think this is cool. Well, I love it. I hope I get that experience when I'm older with my kids. I really hope I have that same experience. Ours are seven and a half. So yeah, I mean, right now, all they want to do, I try, I'm so controlling. You see, this is where I'm very (laughs) controlling. My daughter gives me a run for my money. I'm telling you that bitch always puts me in my place. She's like, no, (laughs) no collar. She made me get her little heels, gladiator heels on Amazon to wear with a costume. I'm like, you're not wearing heels. She's just wants to wear socks. So I got her. She's been for a year. She's had the same thing in my cart. It's been in and out of my cart for for a year. I only had an excuse to get it for her for a costume. So yeah, I try to pick out their clothes because I am very controlling. I will say, Shalene, (laughs) I like. I would even pick out. I can pick out everyone's clothing, but I think everyone is sick of me, Shalene. And I've got bigger fish to fry (laughs) at this point. Everyone's sick of me, and I got bigger (laughs) fish to fry. I got to figure out what we're gonna do. We're gonna move to Florida at some point. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we. I kind of want to get out of New York City. Listen, I don't know how you feel about California, but um, I'm real. I, I was born and raised here. Mm. I am so sick of it. I mean, I don't remember ever seeing such crime. And I was. I remember the Dinkin years. I remember the 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 the, 
not crack. What was it? The, the cheap drugs where people would steal a tree here and there, but it was charming. Like they'd steal a plant to get yeah. $2 to buy some cheap drug, but there was something charming about it. It wasn't dangerous. Yeah. There's something so dangerous now with New York city. Yeah. So I'm kind of, you know, we're, we're contemplating just leaving, you know, like I said, I just kind of want to give my kids a good life. I want to give them a better life if I could. And, you know, if my business could be done from anywhere, I'd rather do it in some place where I feel free and there aren't so many restrictions. I don't know if the restrictions are going to last here in New York city, but listen, you know, we can talk about well, with launching bit. your brand. Do you have to be in New York or California? Like, or is, can you just fly back and forth? I can, I can fly back and forth. That's the great part for what I want to do now. You see, this is why I love talking to you because you are a great, um, you're an inspiration because, you know, when I had to deal with customers one-on-one, -on -one, I mean, that was my forte. That's how I grew my business. I opened up a little store and I had people like Renee Zellweger, Cindy Crawford, you know, of course I had the whole Upper East Side and I had socialites and moms and they'd all walk past the store. People used to wait online. Did you have Anna Delvey? No, but she might even be in my computer. There are so many people in my computer that I don't know, but the people that have worked for me says, oh, she's a customer. She, like, I forgot Rachel Zoe was a customer because, oh, wow. because she went under another name and I didn't recognize her. So wow. all these people were customers and people used to wait online, A, to get served and B, to pay for their shoes. And now it's a different world. People are buying online. So if I'm going to sell online, I can do it from anywhere. And if I'm going to try to launch a collection for the masses, I can do it from anywhere. My, my, my curation and my, my help is no longer needed in a one-on-one -on -one basis. And maybe it's for yeah. the better. Yeah. But you yeah. look like, do you, do you have a stylist? Or do you do it yourself? I, I have used a stylist before, but um, no, I usually don't. Uh, I, I usually don't. But I was just, watch, you know, I'm watching uh, Miami Housewives. And I'm like, oh, those girls, those girls, they have got to all have stylists. They, and I don't know if you watch Housewives. Do you even care? Not at all. Okay. No, no, well, you can tell me. It's funny. They, 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 well, they pitched you know, me for my just, podcast many, many times, but I never it's watched so it. It's so interesting to see the different um, franchises. So there's like Orange County Housewives, they have the worst fashion. No, they don't. Salt Lake City has the worst fashion you've ever seen in your whole entire life. And, <laughs> and, and I'm not saying Salt Lake City does, but that franchise of women does. And, and now there's, you know, Miami and I just love watching because those women tend to be like my age. So that's kind of fun to see like what they're yeah. wearing and how each city wears different styles. And I just love it. Do you know, who I just met recently. I don't know if you've ever watched the housewives of New York. Of course. Aviva, Aviva Dresner. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I just met her. I was at her home in Bell Harbor. We were introduced because I was moving there. I didn't know she was a housewife. She told me she was on the housewives when I went to her apartment in Bell Harbor. And it was just so interesting. I've never watched one of them and I'm going to get her actually on the podcast. She's oh, my first one. And I, they pitched the housewives to me since I started the very first podcast, they kept pitching um, housewives. I just never watched it. So I never, I never, had them on as a guest, but I will have Aviva on as a guest because she has a lot to talk about. She helps yes. amputees and yes. she really, there's a lot she does. She threw her leg in one of the episodes. I, I heard, it. I know, I heard she took it off Very and memorable. threw it. <laughs> so you don't have a stylist and you got to tell you, you got great style. You're doing thank great. You. I thank you for coming on. Shalene, this was so amazing. We didn't talk that much about how much, how well you can help me or how much you can help me, <laughs> but you help me. I, do you really need help though? I do. It sounds like you've got it figured out. I kind of do, but I like if validation. You have to pick one area though. What, yeah. what one area? So, you know, I always walk people through the 10 areas of their lives and ask them like, what area feels like you have missed the mark? You know, so if we go friendship and family, your romantic significant other, your physical health, your mental health, your purpose, your environment, which can be your home, your office, et cetera, your hobbies, your personal development, your spirituality, your financial situation of all those 10 areas, which one are you like, oh, I'm missing the mark there. I think the only I could place be getting better. Okay, so the only place I think I'm missing the mark at this point is the financial aspect in business. I think since COVID, it has put me in a in a situation where there's so much uncertainty. And I love how you mentioned friendship, 
um, relationship, uh, family, because that's really, and spiritually, it's all part of it, a mental development. You know, we said, I, we both have spent a million dollars in therapy over our life, like 1 million. So I don't feel like I missed the mark on that. Yeah. I just feel like yeah. right now, the uncertainty of, I think the world, the country, yep. New York, I feel like, uh, you know, and if I didn't have these two little kids to worry about, I think I'd be fine. I always say, you know, thank God I have them, but if I didn't have them, you know, who cares? I know I'd be fine. But when you know you have two little kids that you want to take care of for the rest of at least my life, and after I go, I'd like for them to be comfortable, there's a certain anxiety, and it just makes me think that I really need to get some more clarity. And I think I just need more certainty on what's going to happen, and we don't know. That's the problem. We don't don't. know. Um, I will say that um, I think the greatest gift that we can give our kids, now that mine are both grown and have their own businesses, is uh, to not give them too much, you know, like, I'm not going to pretend like, you know, cause we, we could give them whatever they wanted and they lived in nice houses and wore nice clothes, but we made them buy their own cars. We made them make money from the time they were seven years old. Not like they had to support themselves or pay rent or anything, but we, we were always like, whatever they were excited about doing, we'd say like, Oh, well, you, you know, you could start a little website or you could do a lemonade stand or you could do so that they would have the experience, not us telling them you can do anything. But so they knew like, I'm an eight-year-old and I just figured out how to make 10 bucks. You know what I mean? And I think that's a, a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make, right? Where we're like, I, I want to provide for my kids. I want to provide so they have all the creature comforts. But if they don't have a little bit of uncomfort and if they don't have, if they don't have true experiences where they have figured it out, we put them at a disadvantage, you know? So I think it's okay if you don't um, worry so much about them being comfortable after we're gone. I just need to make sure that they're capable after I'm gone. I love that capable. You know, I think that's great advice and I've heard it before and I agree with it and I think it's great, but you just said something that actually um, can help me, you know, rethink it. They need to be capable. Yeah. Capable. You know, I'm so controlling. I want to know what's going to happen after I'm dead. I want to make sure like, are they going to have their, I want to make sure they're going to have their house. They're going to do everything the correct way. I hope they're going to get married before they have children. You have to go on a date then you have to get engaged. Then you have to get married that, you know, it's like, you know, there's a certain, you know, a certain way to do things and I'm still controlling, but I guess I cannot control everything, but I do have to make sure that they're capable. But if I had the choice, I'd like to control it all from now. Yeah. But that's so anxiety inducing because you can't. I can't. And that's one of my biggest problems, but I do like listening to your Instagram posts because it makes me feel like, you know, I'm not alone. And it really is great advice for people who didn't remember what I said. Shalene Johnson, C-H-A-L-E-N-E Johnson. I think that you have so much to say and you are so well-rounded. So thank you for sharing everything. I am so lucky that I was invited to do this today. This is a wonderful delight of a conversation. So thank you for having me. I'm the lucky one. And I hope at some point when you're in New York City, I know that you did a video with Brad's mom and Brad's brother for Beachbody, right? Yeah, probably way back in the day. We we lived, we spent a month in New York in uh, the month of October. Uh, So we were probably going to come back in the spring and spend a month again. Okay. If you do, please, you have Brad's number. And I think you even have our email. Just let us know. We'd love to get together. That'd be awesome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Shalene, thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.